We're going to continue to worship the Lord with our gifts and our tithes and our offerings this morning. I want to share with you real quickly, uh, we got an email this week from a social worker at Ford ELC, which is the elementary school that we've come alongside and supporting. And they said, hey, I don't know if you saw in the news, but there was an apartment fire. And one of the families that was affected by that goes to our school, and they lost everything. They only got out with the clothes on their back, and that was all that they got out with. And they said, is there anything that you all can do to help us? And so I was like, of course, you know, we're Radiant Church. This is what we do. You guys are our school. And so we went out, we were able to buy lots and lots of clothes and sets of clothes and even things like underwear, which you don't really think about a lot, but it's awesome to have, and shoes and all of that stuff. <laughs> Why do I say stuff sometimes? <laughs> and so we were able to take it and drop it off, bags of it. I sent my wife out to do the shopping, which might have been... There was lots of bags anyways, and took it in, and they're just so blessed by it. And the reason we're able to do that is because of the generosity of all of you, because you take seriously what God's called us to do, to be a radiant church and to give and to be generous towards others so that we can be there and model and demonstrate Jesus to them. So thank you so much for that. Uh, what you all are doing is incredible, and I'm just so blessed to be here with all of you. So God, as we give back, we're so grateful that you first gave to us. In Jesus, this morning, we pray for 40LC, and we pray for that family, God, that was affected by this fire, that uh, even though they've seen destruction, God, that they would see that you're the God who restores, and that you're the God who blesses, and you're the God who comes alongside of them. And Jesus, we pray that you'd use simple things like clothes and shoes and underwear to reveal your love to this family, because they're precious. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Also being passed around here. If you're new here, thank you so much for being our guest today. We know there's a lot of things you could have done, but you took the time to come and be here with that, and we're so honored by that. Uh, we'd love to have you fill out one of the communication cards that are in the back of the seat in front of you. And you can drop that off at the information table on your way out. We have a free Radiant t-shirt for you as a gift and our way of saying thanks for being here with us. We're not going to sign you up for newsletters or you know, spam it out to credit card companies. I just want to send you an email this week welcoming you to Radiant and seeing if there's anything that we can do for you. Also, we have water baptism coming up on June 11th. That Sunday will be right here. And now that we have a building, like we can do baptisms whenever we want, which is awesome. So if you've made a decision to follow Jesus and now you want to be obedient to him and go public with your faith, water baptism is a symbol of that. So on, the, on that same communication card on the back of it, you can sign yourself up for water baptism and then I'll get a hold of you and we'll get you all the details. And we'd love to celebrate you as you go public with your faith here with us on June 11th. And then also, we have our Next Steps Discover class going on today. It's actually right in here at 1130. Uh, so if you want to know more about what God created you to do, how your personality and your giftings help to reveal what God created you to do, we'd love to have you come and be here for that class. It's a ton of fun. Sybil teaches it, and she's incredible. And uh, you will not regret doing that. So just write in here. You don't have to sign up. You can just show up at 1130. All right, if you have your Bibles with you, go ahead and turn to Luke chapter 3. We're going through our series, Luke, Investigating Jesus. We want to know who Jesus is. We want to know what it was that he taught. We want to know uh, how it is that he affects and how he changes our life. And last week, we were talking about John the Baptist and how God came and gave him a message to go and to call people to repentance from their sins and turning to Jesus as a way to prepare the way for the Savior of the world to come. And it wasn't a message that was for the whole world. John's message was targeted towards the family of God. That would be us, the church. So you might have been fired up last week thinking, yeah, this is awesome. I'm going to live a life of repentance. I'm going to change the way I live. And as I do that, we're going to see Jesus come to more and more people because we're the proof, right? We're the model that God really can change our lives. 
we're the proof that God is real and that he's powerful and that he creates us into something new that's so much different than who we were, that we do have new life that's in Jesus. We model that to everyone else, and in doing that, we prepare the way for Jesus to come to others. And so you might have gone home and you're like, yes, I'm recommitting, I'm going to follow you, Jesus, no more sin for me. And then you might have found out that just because you decided you don't want to sin anymore doesn't mean that temptation has gone away. In fact, temptation usually increases whenever you decide that you want to break free from something. It's sort of like going to the doctor. If you've ever gone to the doctor and, and as you start getting older, like when I was young, it's like, hey, you need to gain weight. It's like, okay, that sounds like fun and you can never gain weight. And then you get to a certain point where you're like, hey, you need to lose weight. Like, what, what happened there? I didn't think it was that bad, but all right, I'm going to make some changes. No more just eating ice cream 24-7. No more chicken nuggets. That's for my kids, not for me. And I'm going to exercise. I'm going to change my life because I don't want to destroy myself. I don't want to shorten my life. I don't want to bring on ailments uh, because of the food that I'm eating. So you go home, you're like, this is it. This is a new day for me. I'm going to change. I'm going to follow all of this. And you're sitting there on your couch, and you remember that you just bought a whole gallon of ice cream. And it's just right there in your freezer. It's like, well, you know, maybe after I get done eating this ice cream, maybe then I'll start my diet, because I don't want to waste it. That's not being a good steward of the resources God's given me. You know, we can't just throw it away. There's starving people in the world. We can't be throwing away food. It's like, no, you know what? I'm not going to do it. I'm going to stay strong. And then you get the little devil thing, right? He's sitting there on your shoulder, and he's like, oh, come on, Jeremy. It's, it's just a little bit of ice cream, just one scoop. Treat yourself. And you're like, oh, it's so convincing. Well, let me turn, well, let me see what the angel's going to say. But you turn, instead of an angel, it's just a bowl of ice cream. And you're like, oh, gosh. And so what do you do? You eat the gallon of ice cream, and then you feel terrible about yourself because you broke off this new commitment, new resolution. You feel terrible because the human stomach can't contain a gallon of ice cream. And you just feel like, I'm never going to break free, so I'm just going to go buy tons of more ice cream, and the doctor can yell at me again next year. But this is how Satan works, right? So whenever you decide that you're going to change the way that you're living, that you want to live a life of repentance, you want to follow Jesus, you want to model and demonstrate what Jesus can do inside of the human heart, he's always going to come and he's going to attack you and he's going to tempt you because he doesn't want you breaking free from the bondage of sin. He doesn't want you demonstrating and modeling what Jesus can do in your heart. He doesn't want to break, have you break free from the destruction that you're bringing on yourself through sin. He doesn't want you living out that holy calling, the reason that God made you, the purposes and the plans that he prepared for you before the foundations of the earth were laid. He does not want you living those things out. And so he comes to you again and again. He just keeps tempting you. He keeps whispering to you. He keeps putting things inside of your ear. And he's really, really good at this. Who knows you best of anybody in the world? Your mama, right? No. The devil. He knows you so well. He knows every like, mess up you've ever made. He knows every weakness that you have. He knows every temptation that you face. Like, he knows. He never tempts me to eat broccoli. Have you ever had that? Like, he never tempts you to do anything good. He's never like, hey, Jeremy, you should go read your Bible. Let's be naughty. We're going to pray for an hour. It's like, it, he never leads you into anything good. He always tempts you in the areas where you're prone to fall. Again and again and again, he does this. It's relentless because he knows you so well. He knows your history. He knows your appetites. He knows those fallen desires that you have, and he'll keep bringing them up to you again and again. But the good news is for you is that even though the devil knows you really well and he's really good at tempting, Jesus knows you even better, and Jesus is able to bring you victory over any temptation that you might face in this world because he's already done it.
A lot of times we think of Jesus in his life as being he came here, he atoned for our sins, died on the cross so we could be forgiven, go to heaven, all of that kind of stuff, which is true. That's part of it. But that's, that's just a, a part of what it is that Jesus came to do. He also came to model and to demonstrate for us what the holy possible is for our lives as Christians. What Jesus did, it says that we will do the same things that Jesus did. So when we, we usually think about that as miracles, praying for people to be healed, all of that kind of stuff, that's a part of Jesus' setting. He's modeling and demonstrating what the holy possible is for us as believers. But he also sets the holy possible for us in the area of temptation because Jesus himself was tempted, and he was tempted greatly by Satan himself. But he overcame that. He set the holy possible for us of what our lives can be and what it is that we can do. And so we can look at the life of Jesus and we can see how it was that he overcame temptation so that we can live overcoming temptation as well. So in Luke chapter 3, verses 21 through 22, we start reading about this story. And it says, One day, when the crowds were being baptized, Jesus himself was baptized. As he was praying, the heavens opened and the Holy Spirit in bodily form descended on him like a dove and a voice from heaven said, you are my dearly loved son and you bring me great joy. And then in 4, 1 through 2, we're going to skip over the genealogy. It says, then Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan River and he was led by the Spirit in the wilderness where he was tempted by the devil for 40 days. And Jesus ate nothing at that time and he became very hungry. If there's one passage in scripture that they didn't have to put in there because you kind of guessed it anyways, it said after 40 days of eating nothing, Jesus was very hungry. But what we see in this story is the beginning of how Jesus overcame temptation. And what happens is before he went through any temptation, he started the battle before that. It's like training for a marathon. If you've ever decided to do a marathon, God bless you. We'll pray for you afterwards, but we're really proud of you at the same time. Uh, you don't just decide, I'm going to do a marathon, and then you go line up at the gate and get ready to go run 26 miles. You will die. You will not complete that marathon. It's, but if you want to run a marathon, if you want to do that race, and if you want to complete it, it means that you start months ahead of time preparing for that moment when you're at the starting gate waiting for the gun to fire. And it's the same way for us with overcoming temptation. Jesus didn't just wait for the devil to come and start tempting him in the wilderness. Before that happened, there were things that were in place in his life that were preparing him to undergo temptation and to be victorious in that. And the first thing that it says is that before Jesus was tempted, he received the Holy Spirit. There's nothing more transformational in your life than the Holy Spirit. What the Holy Spirit does in you completely changes who you are. It changes the realm of what possible is for you. And so Jesus comes, he's baptized in the river by John, and it says, and the Holy Spirit in the form of a dove, it comes and it descends upon Jesus. It comes and completely fills him. And it's from that moment forward, we see Jesus start to do his earthly ministry. Now, for the 30 years preceding this, when he doesn't have the Holy Spirit dwelling inside of him, there's no miracles. He's not going around doing all these great teachings on the kingdom of God. He's not walking on water. He's not doing any of those things. But when the Holy Spirit comes inside of him, it changes what's possible for Jesus to do. The Holy Spirit is God. We don't, I think a lot of times we, you hear people say things like, oh, the Spirit was really flowing in the service that day. Like, what does that mean? That means that you liked the set list and that the volume was just right and you liked the mix. That's generally what we mean when we say the Holy Spirit was really moving. 
But the Holy Spirit isn't something like this. It's not dependent upon set lists. It's not dependent on music or anything like that. The Holy Spirit is God, the third person in the Trinity, the Holy Spirit who comes and lives and dwells inside of us as believers. God himself comes and takes up residence inside of us. It says that God isn't residing in a temple anymore, but that we become the temple where the presence of the living God is found. If you're a believer, you've received the Holy Spirit, and now the Holy Spirit is dwelling in you and is changing you. And what the Holy Spirit begins to do is it starts to transform you and change you. It's not an exercise just of your own willpower or your own strength. The power and the presence of God himself is dwelling inside of you and he's beginning to change the way that you think. He's beginning to change the way that you respond to things. He's beginning to unlock scripture for you. He's beginning to bring passion into worship and into prayer. The Holy Spirit takes you and if you have an issue with anger in your life, he begins to come in and combat that and turn you into a gentle person. If you're dealing with greed, he comes in and starts to transform your heart and stir up generosity inside of you. The Holy Spirit is God himself who has come to dwell in us and changes everything about us because it's the presence and power of God operating inside of every single believer on the face of the earth. I cannot overstate enough how incredible of a gift this is and what that means to us as believers. If the Holy Spirit's inside of us, if God himself's dwelling in us, what's impossible for us? Only the things that are impossible for God. What's impossible for God? Nothing. We need to change the way that we think and that's part of what the Holy Spirit does. And then the Holy Spirit also gives us supernatural power to live out the new life that we've received from Jesus. He gives us the gifts of the Holy Spirit that we see operating in the life of Jesus and in the apostles and all the way down through the history of the church. Things like prophetic words, words of wisdom and knowledge and healing and tongues and interpretations, working of miracles, all of these incredible things. And what that is is that the Holy Spirit's empowering you to do what God's called you to do. He said, go make disciples of all the nations. So how does Jesus make disciples? He preaches the kingdom of God. He models and demonstrates a life living out the culture of the kingdom of God. And then there's also signs and wonders that confirm that he's not just some crazy guy, but that God's really active and present in what's going on. And that's the way that we've been called to live as well. And the Holy Spirit begins to produce fruit like peace and joy and patience and self-control. All of these things happen inside of us. But then this other part that's really awesome that's oftentimes overlooked is that the Holy Spirit is a part of God's grace for us. Generally, when we think of the word grace, we think, oh, God's been gracious towards me. I didn't deserve forgiveness. I don't deserve his love, but he's given it to me. That's God's grace for me. And that's part of it. But God's grace is also an empowering in your life so that you can break free from the way that you used to live. God's grace doesn't just forgive your sin. God's grace now empowers you to be able to live in a way that breaks free from the sin so that you no longer live in the bondage of it. It used to be that whenever Satan tempted you, he was like, okay, I'll do it. There's nothing I can do. But now, through Jesus, he's forgiven your sins, and he's also, through the power of the Holy Spirit inside of you, giving you the power so that you don't have to live out those sinful temptations anymore. You can live this new life not because of you, but because of God that's in you. So before temptation comes, we need to be filled with the Holy Spirit. We need to be operating with the presence and the power of the living God inside of us, filling us, empowering us, producing fruit in our lives, and giving us the grace, God's power, so that we can break free from all sin and overcome all temptation. And then the second thing is that he received identity. 
Jesus didn't view himself as just some Jewish guy, son of a poor carpenter. Uh, he's a nobody from a nowhere town that's not ever going to do anything. There's no purpose for his life. No, what happens is he receives identity. His identity is he's Jesus, son of the living God, in whom God is well pleased. That's the identity that shapes Jesus. And who you believe you are will determine what it is that you do. Who you believe you are will determine what you think is possible for your life. One of the saddest things that you see is when uh, someone has been kidnapped or captured or whatever it might be that's happened, sometimes these people will end up believing the lies that their captors are telling them. And once you break someone, once you tell them that they're unlovable, that they're worthless, that no one else is ever going to take care of you, that no one's ever going to love you, that you're not strong, that you can't make it on your own, that you can't do all of these things, eventually, if you hear that enough, it'll start to shape your identity, and that's what you'll think about yourself. And once you start believing those things about yourself, the captor can let you go out in broad daylight where you could approach cops and police and whatever else and get help, but you will never even think to do that because you now believe this person who's abused you so much is the only person that loves you and is going to take care of you. It limits what you think you are. It limits what you think is possible for your life. And this is what Satan does to you too. He comes and he tells you you're worthless. You're unlovable. You're a screw-up. You can't do this. Nobody's ever going to love you. God's never going to love you. You're never going to break free from sin inside of your life. You're going to continue to do this. You're going to continue to have to hide from people. You're going to have to continue to hide from God. All of these things over and over again in your life, again and again and again. And eventually it forms an identity inside of your mind of where you limit what you can do. You limit what God can do inside of your life. And you start to think, I'm never going to break free from this sin, so I'm just not even going to try anymore. This is just who I am. I'm too weak. I'm not strong enough. I can't do this. God doesn't have a plan or a purpose for my life. Or, or maybe I've messed it up and now God can't use me. But anytime that we have that identity, we have to come back to who is it that God says we are. Because he's the one that created us. So he's the one who gets to shape our identity. He's the one who gets to tell us who we are and what our life is all about. And what God told to Jesus was that you're my son and you bring me great joy. And this is what God says to you. You're my daughter. You're my son. You bring me great joy. You weren't created to live apart from me. You weren't created to live being constantly defeated by temptation and by sin. You were created to do great things. You were created to do good works in Christ Jesus before the foundations of the earth were laid. You have to come back to what is the identity that God has spoken to you? What is the identity that God has revealed to you from Scripture? And you have to allow that to begin to shape you and to believe what it is that he's saying. It's what Jesus did. Before he went into temptation, he received identity from God. It reminded him that I am your son. So this is what I do. I think I'm not just Jeremy. I'm not just some kind of grumpy white guy that's pasty and gangly and whatever and not that great at a lot of things. No, I'm Jeremy, son of the living God. I'm blessed in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ Jesus. I am cherished. I was made for a purpose. God is pleased with me. God is, he's happy. He wants to spend time with me. God created me to do world-changing, history-making things. 
That's who God created me to be. That's what it is that God's speaking to me again and again in my prayer time. It's what he's speaking to me in scripture. And he continues to speak to me and say that you're my son and I'm going to take you where I've called you to. You just have to continue to trust me. You just have to continue to live as my son. And maybe for you, you have to continue to live as my daughter. You have to continue to believe the things that I'm saying about you even when you look around and it's not what you see. Have you ever had someone give you a real great compliment and you think they're crazy? Like, you just don't know me. God knows you. He sees things in you that you don't see in yourself. He sees the things that he's going to do in you if you'll just let him. But we have to come back to what is our identity? Are we going to believe the identity that others have given us? Are we going to believe the identity that Satan's giving us? Or are we going to believe the identity that Jesus gives us? Because until we believe that identity that comes from our Father, we will never be able to overcome the temptation of sin. And then number three, he fasted and he prayed. Now, the first two sound a little more exciting. Like, yeah, I get the Holy Spirit. I get a new identity. And it's like, oh, fasting. Oh. Like, nobody likes to fast, right? And even praying is difficult. But here's why these two things are so important. Jesus, he goes and he fasts and he prays for 40 days. 40 days. I'm not asking any of you to do that. Like 40 minutes is a great start. But 40 days, he's praying and he's fasting. He's preparing for the temptation that's going to come. And here's what happens. When you pray, and I'm in the greatest season of prayer in my life right now. I just love it. And it hasn't always been like that. There's been times like, okay, I got to put my 15 minutes in. It's like going to the treadmill. I got to put my 15 minutes in, you know, stay healthy spiritually. And it was a drudgery. But here's what happens in prayer. Because I used to think that prayer was about me. It's like you're making a list. God, would you bless Sally? Jesus, would you heal Susan's goiter? God, my dad needs a new knee. You know, like stuff like that. Just like praying this dry list of things. But then I discovered prayer isn't about us just asking God to do things. It's about relationship with God. With my wife, I love spending time with her. And when I'm spending time with her, I'm like, all right, Anna, um, so here's what we need. I notice that we're running a little bit low on eggs. We've got to get our kids to their karate lesson. I, like, that's not how I spend time with her. Okay, goodbye. I'll see you tomorrow for 15 minutes when I read the list to you again. When I spend time with my wife, I just like spending time with her. And as I spend time with her and just enjoy her company, it builds my love for her and my affection for her, and it enables me to receive love and affection from her as well. This is the biggest part of prayer. It's not about the times when you have your list of things that you're taking to God, and that is important. But the greatest part of prayer is that you meet with the living God, that you develop relationship with him. So when I pray, the first half hour, 45 minutes of my prayer time is I'm just throwing on some worship tunes, and I'm just walking around with my hands raised high and I'm just singing as loud as I can. Or if my kids are sleeping, as quietly as I can. But I'm just enjoying worshiping Jesus and encountering his presence. And then I take 15, 20 minutes where I just sit there and I just let God speak to me. I'm like, God, would you speak to me? And then he speaks to me and he reveals things to me. He reveals his love and his affection for me. I'm just weeping because I'm seeing how good God is and how much he loves me. And then I go into my petition time of, all right, God, I need you to see these things because the prayer will build the relationship, and that's the most important part of it. If you feel far from God or stale in your relationship, you need to pray. And it can be hard at first, but it will become the greatest delight in your life and the thing you look forward to most in your day. But then you get to do the other part that we often do, which is now we're going to invite the power of God to enter into situations. And so we live in a broken world. It doesn't matter uh, what religion you might be or no religion, we can all agree the world is broken and messed up. 
What we believe as Christians is that when we call upon our Heavenly Father, He exerts His power and His influence into our broken world to bring His healing, to bring His kingdom. And we see Him move miraculously in response to the prayers of His children. So this is why we pray. We pray because we want to relationally build ourselves up to know God, to know his love, to build passion for who he is. We pray because we want to see his power exerted and his influence. We want to see his kingdom come into our broken world. And then we fast, and this is the hardest part, is we fast because we need to silence all of the other voices in our life. We live in an age where there are more voices and there is more noise than any other time in human history. There are a lot of things that are yelling really loud into your ear. But when we fast, what we do is we say, I'm cutting out every other voice so that I can more clearly hear the voice of God. So that all these other voices that are trying to shape me, influence me, give me identity, speak truth to me, I want to shut all of those things up so that I can just hear clearly the voice of God, my Father, speaking to me. And then here's the other thing that fasting does, is it develops discipline inside of your life. Temptation is real and it's out there. And this is what I would say. You need to develop discipline through fasting because uh, we have a lot of temptation. Maybe the person you're dating right now is like super duper hot and attractive and you love them so much. Well, there's no way in this world you're going to be able to say no to, your, to sex to your super hot boyfriend or girlfriend if you can't say no to a cheese sandwich. Right? Like, we have to be able to develop the ability to say no to some simple, easy things before we can say no to the really hard things. I say, it's like my favorite thing in the world is grilled cheese sandwiches. So. <laughs> so, you know, like when I'm fasting, that's all I think about. But this is what it does. You develop the ability to say no because we have a, a desire to eat, right? Every one of us. It's ingrained in who we are. It's a God-given desire that we have. But we have to put these desires into submission to the one who created us. The desires that we have can be bad and they can lead us to wrong things, even if it's a desire that we are born with that God gave us. But we have to learn to put all of these things into submission to Jesus as a way that we worship him, as a way that we're obedient to him. And fasting develops that ability, that discipline inside of you to continue to say no to the temptation that's all around you. So before Jesus was tempted, he developed a prayer life where he knew his father intimately and had passion for him and where he was fasting and developing the discipline to be able to say no and also the ability to hear God speak more clearly to him. And then number four, he knew scripture and accepted it as God's authoritative truth. And this is probably the one that's under attack the most today is that the Bible has really fallen out of favor. It used to be that everybody believed the Bible was God's truth. We just didn't actually live out that truth, which means you don't really believe it's God's truth. You just mentally agree to that. But now it's come to the point of where even in the church, the Bible's become under attack is say, well, you know, people, they just understand back then. I love it because they always talk about Moses and Paul. Like, hey, these were just these backwards oaths who didn't really understand the full revelation of God. They didn't understand him like I do. I'm like, really? You know, Moses was a guy who it says he talked to God face to face as a man talks to his friend. I don't do that. I mean, maybe you guys do, but that hasn't happened to me yet. It says that there's never arisen another prophet that was as great as Moses. It says that he comes down from Mount Sinai after speaking to God and getting his commands. He comes down and he has to hide his face because it's glowing from the presence of God being so thick on him. So this is my, my litmus test for people whenever they want to challenge uh, the authority of Scripture and its truth. And I'm like, you said, what about this Scripture? Okay, well, let me, let me check your face. Is it glowing? Nope, sorry, I'm going to go with the guy whose face is glowing. <laughs> or when it comes to Paul... 
the miraculous revelation, the gospel was taught to Paul by Jesus. He has Jesus as his divine mentor who comes and reveals the gospel to him. I'm going to take what Paul says over what anybody else might say. And that's what we have to do is we come to the place where we say, this scripture that we have, I believe that this is God's word. And I believe that his truth is revealed in this book for how I'm called to live my life. And then you have to know your scripture. You have to get it inside of you. Because right now, this is just basically like some carbon on some trees that were pulped up and dried. This can't change your life just like this. It's just a book like any other book. But when you get this truth down inside of your heart, you know it, it begins to change you and produce fruit inside of your life. It changes the way that you think. It changes the way that you view the world and the way that you view God, the way that you view yourself. Everything changes when you allow Scripture to come into your heart and to change you. We have to accept it as the truth that we base our life on. Otherwise, you won't even recognize temptation when it comes to you. Satan will be saying something like, hey, that sounds like a great idea. But if you don't know scripture to say, oh, actually, you're trying to lead me into a trap that's going to completely destroy me and my life and my family and my relationship with Jesus. We need to know scripture so that we can do that. And this is how Jesus does it. And I'll have a joy come up here as we close. In Luke 4, verse 3, it says, Then the devil said to him, If you are the Son of God, tell this stone to become a loaf of bread. But Jesus told him, No, the scriptures say people do not live on bread alone. So what's happening? Satan's coming and he's tempting the physical desires that Jesus has. For us, it's like hunger, like the desire for pleasure, sex, whatever it might be. Satan's coming and he's tempting us with these things. He even says to him, if you're the son of God, you know, if you're really his son, doesn't he want you to be happy? Doesn't he want you to have these good things? And after 40 days of fasting, the desire to turn stones into bread and eat them has got to be a pretty strong temptation. But he says, no, because scripture says that my substance doesn't come from bread, it comes from God alone. And I'm going to continue to be obedient to him and trust that he's the one who's going to provide me everything that I need, even if it means that I have to submit these physical desires to him. And then it continues on. It says, uh, oops, sorry, same scripture. Then the devil took him up and revealed to him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time. I will give you the glory of these kingdoms and authority over them, the devil said, because they are mine to give to anyone I please. And I will give it all to you if you will worship me. And Jesus replied, the scriptures say, you must worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Again, he comes back and Satan's tempting him with the eye, our bright, shiny objects, things that we like, that appeal to us. And he's saying, you can have all of these things. But Jesus comes and he says, no. Scriptures say that you serve God and you serve God alone because Jesus knew that whoever we worship is the one that we serve. If you worship stuff, then you will serve stuff and you won't be serving Jesus. And then it continues, Then the devil took him to Jerusalem to the highest point of the temple and said, If you are the Son of God, jump off. For the scriptures say, He will order his angels to protect and to guard you, and they will hold you up with their hands, so you won't even hurt your foot on a stone. And Jesus responded, The scriptures also say, You must not test the Lord your God. Again, he comes back to the temptation comes. He recognizes the temptation as an attack because he knows scripture, and then he responds with what God's truth is. See, Satan's trying to stir up pride inside of him. You need to prove who you really are. You, oh, you're the son of God? Prove it. How many times does Satan appeal to your pride, try to get you to do things to prove who you really are? Stirs up pride inside of you. But Jesus knows that you don't do anything to test God. You believe by faith that he is the one who's going to provide you and protect you, but you never put him to the test. You don't have to prove who you are because you've already received an identity from, Jesus, from God himself. You don't have to prove who you are to anyone. 
I love this. In Galatians chapter 5, verse 1, this is how it kind of wraps it up. It says, For freedom Christ has set you free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. And what Paul's saying is that on the cross, Jesus died for your sins. He paid the penalty for your sins so that now, when God looks at you, he doesn't just see a sinful creature who's worthy of wrath and destruction, who should be held at arm's length. He sees a daughter. He sees a son. And he's bringing you in. He's stretching his arms out. He's gathering you in. That's his greatest desire for you, is to draw you in. And he's freed you from the slavery that you lived in. And that's what it says, is that before, it wasn't just that we sinned occasionally, we were slaves to sin. It marked us. It defined who we were. And God looked down on us in this enslaved state and how broken we were, how messed up we were. And his heart was so moved by his love for us that he gave up the glory of heaven and that he came down lived amongst us, died on the cross, paying the penalty for our sins so that now we have relationship with our Father restored, so that now we have new life that's inside of us and so that now we can truly live in a new way. You can live in this new way that God's called you to because you've seen what sin does in your life. You've seen the destruction that it causes in your relationships, in your relationship with God, you've seen the hurt and the destruction that sin continues to cause in you. But you also hear the voice of Satan continuing to tempt you and trying to bring you back into that sin. And you're fighting that struggle again and again and again. And this is what, what God's saying is, I've set you free. Don't return back to that old way of life. Because that's the natural draw for us. Even the nation of Israel, God leads them out of slavery, frees them from horrible oppression. Three days later, they're missing that old life that they used to have. And that happens to us too. There's things that used to bring destruction in your life that Jesus has freed you from, that he died on the cross to free you from. But you're still struggling with that temptation. It's still destroying your relationship with God. It's still destroying your relationships with others. And this morning, God wants to do something inside of your life. This morning, Jesus wants to free you. This morning, Jesus wants you to receive the power that he has for you to live in the way that he always created you to live. Are we going to receive it? Would you stand with me this morning? I love that we were created to hear God speak to us. It's a part of the natural way that we were made to operate. And this morning, we're just going to spend a moment asking God to speak to our hearts. Jesus, thank you so much for your love. Thank you so much for your mercy and your grace. Thank you so much you've provided a new way for us to live. And like David this morning, we ask that you would come and that you would search our hearts and that you would show us if there's anything in our hearts that doesn't belong there. God, where's that place that you died to set me free, but I've been returning back to it, I've been returning back to the slavery that that sin brings in my life? 
And if God's revealing something to you this morning, it's not to shame you. It's not to condemn you. It's because he wants to set you free this morning. If I ask you this morning, every eyes closed, if there's something in your life that you want freedom in, that you want Jesus to come and empower you to live free, and would you slip your hand up with me as a way of saying, God, I need your power, I need you to come to do something in my life. Yes, thank you. Thank you for those hands. Thank you. And we're just going to pray this together over everybody. God, thank you, God, that you are all-powerful. There's nothing that's impossible for you. Jesus, you came so that we would have freedom, God, that we could live in that freedom. And Father, this morning, we receive the Holy Spirit. God, for every hand that was raised, God, we just pour out new waves of your Holy Spirit over them. God, filling them, baptizing them, just fully immersing them in the power, God, that your presence would reside inside of them. God, giving them that strength and that power to overcome every sin. God, every time temptation that's inside of their life. Jesus, would you speak identity into their hearts right now, God, silencing the lies of the enemy that all they would hear is your voice speaking to them, their sonship, that they're a daughter, that they're loved, that they're cherished, that they were created for so much more, just how great your love is for them, Father. Jesus, God, would you stir up desire inside of their hearts for prayer and for fasting? And that, God, that they would truly meet with you as they're on their knees seeking after you. You said that you're the reward, that when we seek after you, we will find you. So, God, in their prayer time, would it be more sweet, God, more richness of your presence in it than they've ever experienced before, that they would know how great your love is for them? God, that as they fast, that you would strengthen them to develop discipline in their life? And, Jesus, we pray that even for the areas of Scripture that they don't understand, God, that they would be able to accept it as truth. Even in the areas they might not agree with it, that still be able to say, but I believe this is true and I'll live my life accordingly. And Jesus, we just pray for grace. God, your grace, God, your mercy, your joy to flow over this place, God, in every hand, God, that new life would be stirred up inside of them. This is the day of freedom. And we're never returning back to that old way of life. Never again. All because of you, Jesus. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Amen. I'm going to call my prayer partners forward, and it's going to be right up here in this front section on either side. And if there's anything we can pray with you about, we would love to do that. If, if you just want to come up and share something you're going through and have us encourage you, uh, we see God do miracles every week, bringing freedom and healing, salvation, restoration, wisdom, all of those things. Jesus is so able to provide, and we'd love to pray with you right here. If not, go out, drink some coffee, meet some friends, and uh, just enjoy living in your freedom this week because there's nothing that's like it. Well, have a great week. We'll all see you next Sunday. God bless.